This is part two of our conversation with uh, Dwayne Gines. We couldn't to put everything that Dwayne had to say in just one podcast. And so we're excited to share with you part two of uh, Dwayne's experiences along the trail, some of his uh, stories that uh, he has as a world traveler, working as a humanitarian in uh, South and Central America. And I think you're really going to appreciate and, uh, and find some real wisdom in what Dwayne has to say today. So happy listening. Welcome to Care the Love podcast. It's Annette and Mark and Dwayne Gines. We are so excited to have uh, you joining us and Dwayne for being here again with us and spending a little more time with us today. It has been amazing to me as I sat here. I was um, listening in on, on part one and behind the scenes at the controls here. And I loved every second of that conversation. I could have taken notes, and if I could have written down faster, every single thing that you would that you talked about um, really resonated with me. I loved how you found your gift. You spent so much time as a young man finding your your gift, and here you are. And and I think that often many of us don't think we have gifts. That's unfortunate that that we don't realize. And so we don't even look. We, I don't have it. We don't have it. We think it's something material. Only the, only the gifted ones. Only yeah. the gifted <laughs> ones. And reality is we all have gifts if we look. Absolutely. And I love, I love that concept. I love the concept of, of the random acts of kindness and just for the hill of it. And, you know, there's so, so many things in uh, that conversation. So, friends, if you... If part two here is the first thing you've listened to, you need to go back after this is over and listen to part one. He talks about connections and ripple effects and positivity. And there's so many, so many things that we can learn. This this man um, that we're visiting with, Dwayne here, is, is so inspiring to me. And how just based on this conversation, without a note, he can bring up one positive... Um, thought or concept or quote from Gandhi or someone else. And it's just applies. It applies to our life today. So thank you. Mark, you are the man who met Dwayne on the mountain. I did five years ago. We started climbing the mountain when we moved to this community. And every morning there are a number of people. Dwayne, how many people would you say they're regulars up on the mountain every morning getting their exercise? Probably... Off and on around 50, I would I, I would guess around 50 that are regular. Right. Of course, we see a lot of other people on the uh, mountain as well. Uh, mountain, for me, has come to represent something very important. It's uh, it's something that that as I as I climb that mountain every morning, it's 1,100 feet up, 1,100 feet down. And as I climb that, uh, I, I think of uh, challenges. I think of things in my own life. I see a lot of symbolism on the mountain. There, I see a lot of uh, opportunities, and uh, when I when when I go to the mountain, 
one of the things that uh, I love is to is to see Dwayne there. He's one of the regulars on the trail as well. And Dwayne has taught me over the last five years how to breathe in the wisdom of the mountain and to, how to exhale the uh, the worries of the day. <laughs> and, That's and, good. And, and, I, and I love his quotes. I, they're always really pertinent there. And in our, lo- in our last podcast, we talked about uh, symbolism. We talked a lot about uh, mountains and mountaintop type experiences. But today we wanted to take that mountaintop experience a little bit of a different direction. Along with uh, being an inspiration to so many people every day on the mountain, Dwayne stops people. He gives the, uh, uh, a bracelet. And up until this year, the bracelets you were giving came from women that had made these, uh, these bracelets that you came back from Peru with, uh, women that uh, lived in Cinco Nevados, which is where? So uh, Cusco and the Sacred Valley, these were, this, this was the stronghold for the Incas. Uh, that was their center place, Cusco. The Sacred Valley, they could grow anything they needed there. Uh, just the concept of a sacred place uh, always appealed to me. Uh, these women, they work extremely hard. Uh, they are up at four in the morning, out taking care of their alpacas, their sheep, uh, their uh, land. Uh, every Saturday, there is an Indian market in Cusco reserved just for the villagers to bring their produce or their animals to sell. So they uh, are there. Uh, this is a big part of their income. I realized when I visited this group, they met every Tuesday and they worked on their crafts. They, these are weavers. So they not only uh, can do everything and anything, they also have time to go ahead and weave. And their weaving is some of the best in all of Peru. So I took, I had a whole bunch of cord and I said, let's make, we started out making survival bracelets and then we made survival keychains. And then we started doing random act of kindness just for the hill of it bracelets. And I would buy them from these women and bring them back and gift them on the trail. So this was a way of connecting these women with the people here and also sharing some good thing. I told the people there, I said, we are all strands in the fabric of life. Each one is important. And working together, we can solve the problems of poverty, violence, and pollution that plague our planet. We're all a part of that. When we started the Galileo Foundation about 12 years ago, I didn't want it to be a donor-recipient model. I said, no, we are a shared opportunity model. The village woman who carries water to make the adobe, adobe for the village school is just as important and in many ways more important than the investor who buys the, the doors and the windows and the roof. And I wanted that to be our mantra, shared opportunity. So, Dwayne, before we get too much further and and uh, talk about your experiences you've had there, tell us about uh, how you became interested in Peru and uh, how long ago was that something that uh, you first visited and how many times have you been there since? Uh, 
I served a mission uh, in Cusco in 1965. A church mission in Cusco. A church okay. mission. Uh, I was fascinated by the culture, the people, uh, the work ethic, uh, the kindness. Uh, and a few years, it was 20 years later before I was finally able to go back. A fellow missionary, Tim Evans, he had started an organization called Andean Children's Foundation. They were building schools in Peru and Bolivia. I said, let me help. And he said, you know what I really want to do is I want to take groups down and I want to work with the villagers on building these schools, these health posts, because our young people, they need that intercultural experience. So the organization that we founded in 1988 was called Choice Center for Humanitarian Outreach and Intercultural Exchange. We thought both were important, humanitarian outreach, intercultural exchange. And people would pay their own way and pay a portion of the project cost in order to do an expedition. You know, I love, I love this whole concept. I love the concept of taking the youth from here there to have that, that cultural exchange for them to see what, one, how blessed they are. Right. To, to, they see that, they, obviously. They see that. But working side by side, that's the power. That is the power. And that's what resonates long term. Uh, not just donating uh, and seeing a picture of someone that get, got a school or got a stove or whatever, but being there rubbing shoulders, sweating a little bit, struggling a little bit. Uh, my children have, have done this, Tim's children. Uh, there have been thousands of expeditions since uh, we started Choice back in 88. That's... Many lives have been blessed. And some of them started their own nonprofits. Uh, Louis Pope, he started uh, uh, a Yehu Bank, which lends to village women in Kenya. And they have loans out to over, I think it's about 70,000. Uh, so... The ripple effect of doing some good thing and then letting other people take and run with it, that is very powerful. And we see that, uh, I've seen that actually when we started the Galileo Foundation in uh, 2008, it was based on experiences I'd had before with choice and doing expeditions. So you had that knowledge, that expertise that then allowed you to to move forward with this. There's a couple of things, Mark, before you get to the next uh, part of the conversation. But when you talked about, you know, these women coming together to weave, and in my mind, I go to um, quilting bees here. Right. Very similar. Very similar, where they gather and they talk. They oh, absolutely. Share. They're they're connected in so many ways, and that's how you know I believe that connection, that healing that takes place because they lived a rough life. I mean, very challenging, very challenging, and so I love that that connection. I think that's one of the things that we're missing today is that we don't have the connections that we need. People who are connected. Uh, they generally do well. They find a sustaining purpose. They find a way to contribute to the group. Uh, and if they don't have a tribe, if you will, uh, they really struggle. Uh, now, we have discovered that 
villages where the women meet on a regular basis, that there's almost no uh, domestic violence. Villages where the women are not connected, they struggle with that significantly. Peru has a very high domestic violence uh, problem in villages where the women do not have power. In this village, if a husband uh, is abusive to his wife, he is kicked out of the village for a month, the first time. If it happens again, it's a year. And he can only come back if his wife is willing to let him come back to the village. So there's almost no domestic violence in, in this village. I love that because they have their tribe. They have each other. Those women are connected and they're sharing. Well, they're going home and telling their husbands and their husbands aren't going to put up with it. And so that kind of takes well, care of the Well, they, they also too. have a financial impact on the village because they're, they're making money. They're contributing to the finances and they have a, a lot of influence on what goes on in that village. More than the men, actually. I I love that whole concept. But okay, go ahead, Mark. Sorry well, well, no, no, no. I'm glad you did there. I mean, this is a conversation, uh, Dwayne. Lest anyone think that this is a, a week long project once a year for you. How often and how long are you typically in Peru? Typically, uh, before the pandemic, I would make about three trips, and I'd spend three to four weeks each time. Uh, visiting new villages, and uh, because I also take expeditions to these villages, mm -hmm. and I would bring groups down, and I would introduce them to the villages, and we would always buy from these villages to improve the finances uh, of, of the women there. That was an important part of the expedition. So, yeah, about two to three months a year, uh, I've been doing this. Recently, we also went to India and Nepal and did some projects there. Uh, but Peru is the place I keep going back to. You have that love for the people that you gained at a, at a young age. Well, I speak Spanish. I don't speak Hindi. <laughs> Which makes a difference. Um, right. So let me ask you this. Uh, was it always something that the women had uh, such an influence in those tribes in Peru? Uh, the uh, before the evangelists came into Peru, and it was uh, pretty much uh, just the, the the Catholic influence, and then the Pachamama, which is the uh, influence from their uh, traditions about uh, Pachamama is is Earth Mother. Okay. And Inti Raimi is the Sun God. And everything was based on their ceremonies were based on the seasons, the planting and everything. Right. Uh, I'm losing my train of thought here. Uh, anyway, uh, what uh, what we discovered was that uh, if you really wanted to work with the village and improve the condition, the education, the health, uh, the culture, it had to start with the women, the men grow up slower. Uh, and in the villages, even though the men work very hard, they because they don't grow up as fast as the women, uh, if a village does not have a, a women's group as a voice, the, the village does not do well, economically or any other way. That's not something that's just uh, associated with Peru either. That could 
Oh no! In our backyard here. It can. Oh, oh it, it's it, it it's uh, worldwide. It, it is, and that's it, that's one of the things that I think, you know, is missing is that that women's connection. That's so important in any culture. So I, I think it's pretty powerful. That I just I thought that was fascinating to to understand a little more about that. I'm curious about uh, the uh, the trips that uh, the young people take there. Tell me, tell me about uh, what that consists of. What do they do? What does an average day look like? And what what do they come back with? Okay, so they're going. We're at altitude, twelve, thirteen thousand feet. So altitude is a struggle. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're sleeping out uh, in a schoolhouse on the floor in a sleeping bag. Uh, we are getting up early. We're making adobes, we're hauling adobes, uh, physically challenging, but we're also laughing and joking and just enjoying uh, the uh, tremendous cheerfulness of the villagers who love working together and love being together and and joke with one another. Uh, At the end of the day, you're totally shot. These young people, even the young people are totally shot, right? Well, they're not used to manual labor. (laughs) They aren't used to that kind of labor. Uh, so at the end of the day, we would always have a sharing, and I would ask each of the people in the group, what was the thing that impressed you the most about the day? And they would share, I just thought about how much we have, and we aren't happy, and how little they have, and how happy they are. What's going on here? What's wrong with uh, our thinking that, that with all of this abundance, we seem to be less happy than these villagers who have very little. So that was one of the main takeaways. But then the other one was how accepting the villagers were of us as outsiders. They, they loved us. They uh, watched out for us. They helped us. They didn't laugh at the fact that we had a hard time lifting the adobes <laughs> and doing the work that they could do without any trouble at all. So one day I asked one of the villagers who lived in the highest village, this was Viacha, I, I said, Pascual, what is harder for you, going up the mountain or going down the mountain? And he said, it makes no difference because their conditioning was such that whether they were going up or down, it was like they were going on the level. That's the level of conditioning they had. But the young people come away tremendously impressed with the cheerfulness with the work ethic, and with how connected villagers are to one another. You've talked about the simplicity of their lifestyle. Now, I'm sure that you mean, you could take that two different ways, I'm sure. Simplicity and lifestyle doesn't mean easy. Oh, no, 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 it's not easy. So when you talk about the simplicity of their lifestyle, what what do you mean by that? Well, uh Everyone plays an important role. When there is a village project, everyone shows up and they work together. Uh, even uh, everyone has work to do just to survive. If your crop does not produce, you go hungry. So you take care of those potatoes and uh, whatever else you're growing. You take care of those animals because the animals are your bank. So if you have a cow, you are wealthy. If you have uh, some alpacas, some sheep, you're doing pretty good. Uh, and so uh, they, they, I think they live the law of the harvest. Uh, and because they live the law of the harvest, 
they basically uh, they they get up early, they work hard, they connect with other people in the family, uh, and on a good year, they don't go hungry very often, and that's a blessing. There are years that they do go hungry, and they have a deep appreciation. That's why they make offerings to Pachamama, Earth Mother, when things are not going well, because they feel like maybe they offended Earth Mother, and they need to clean up their act. So that's a driving force in their activities. So the law of the harvest is that we reap what we sow. Absolutely. There. How do we, how do we incorporate that uh, into, into life? Well, I, I think we see it around us. If you look at the people who are happy, uh, they do a lot of giving. So they may not have a potato filled to take care of or whatever, but they have neighbors, they have friends, they have people that are, are struggling. And if they're aware, they, they make some bread. They, well, my daughter makes tremendous bread and she gives it to everybody. And she's the most popular person in her neighborhood. Now, that one simple act makes a huge difference. So I think we find ways in our culture of living the law of the harvest, which is basically just giving and helping where we see a need. And it doesn't matter that we have a lot or if we have little. It really doesn't. No, no, it's not, a, it's not about things. It's about uh, people and appreciation. That makes sense. I love that in so many ways. And there is nothing more valuable than people in those relationships. And, you know, there's several things here that, that I love when you talk about this cheerfulness. And um, do you remember, Mark, we used to have what Karen Loud is now is what I tried to do several years ago and I wasn't in the right place. Cheerful noise. Cheerful noise. Okay. You know, what happens when you get a group of women together or you get, you know, you go into this village, into this, this tribe, or even, you know, when you're there building bricks, it's yeah. that cheerful noise, right? It and, is. And, and I love that concept. And I love what happens when we're, it's the connection. It is the connection. Yes. It's that connection and it's working in a common, for a common purpose too. You know, when the Savior said, if you're not one, you're not mine, wasn't he talking about connection? I believe he was. I think you're completely right. And, and so there's so many things with this that I love that we can take these lessons that you've learned in Peru. Mm hmm. And bring them to our day, our life today. And, and how do we incorporate these lessons? You know, I want to even go back to one of the very first things that you talked about. And that was a sacred place. A sacred place? They looked at that, their village as a sacred place. Absolutely. Yeah. So here we are. And how do we create a sacred place? Well, we talked earlier about how for the, the regular hikers, the Temp Cave Trail is a sacred place. A lot of uh, spiritual receiving occurs there. A lot of connectedness occurs there. A lot of sharing occurs there. But the beauty of the, 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 the landscape and uh, all of that, I've hiked Machu Picchu over a dozen times over the years. I prefer the Temp Cave Trail. I recommend it to anyone who has the opportunity to hike the Temp Cave Trail. I love that. 
But what happens if they don't have a temp cave trail in their backyard like we do? They probably have a place that speaks to them uh, uh, and allows them to do that inner receiving. Uh, uh, and it may not be as scenic as American Fort Canyon or some of these, but I'm guessing that there, there may be a grove, there may be a stream, there may be a park or something that allows them to find their sacred place. So it's seeking it. It's, they need to look for it. They need to look for that sacred place so that they can then have those those moments. Those epiphanies, yes. And I'd go so far as well as to say that our homes can be a sacred place. And they should be. They should be a place of beauty and peace and comfort and understanding, sure. Sometimes uh, we, we allow things to come into our homes. We allow attitudes we, we allow other things, you know, the, uh, the the things of the world to come into our homes, and it makes it very difficult to be able to have those epiphanies because of uh, everything that we have. And, and and I really appreciate what you're saying. I, I think throughout my life, and I think about uh, the epiphanies that I've had, and many of those times have been when I've been in a wilderness type of an experience. You know, I don't want to suggest that uh, any of the suggestions I've had that have come to my mind have been Moses-type. <laughs> but personally, they have been. Right. Uh, there where I've been able to be put myself in a position. One of the reasons why I love to hike in the morning is because it sets my day. Right. It uh, allows me to have a reflection of uh, my day. It allows me to think about those things that are important, those things that are not important. And it uh, allows me to, more than anything else, just leave the mountain with a feeling of uh, gratitude. And I think that uh, what you're saying here is these people that you're working with here uh, have a sense of gratitude, perhaps, as well. Let me correct you. I'm playing with them. I'm never working with them. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, There's a difference. There is a difference. There really is truth to that. Because... In everything that we do, if we can take that project and turn it into joy, cheerfulness, laughter, it's play. It's play, yeah. It, it is play. And, you know, I think about these sacred places, and Mark, you're talking about how you start your day and, and, and having a sacred place in the house, in your homes. I think it also comes down to allowing yourself that time. Right. right. And to turn off. The distractions and learn how. I mean, I when I first was told, Annette, you should start meditating. Oh, really? oh okay. Okay. <laughs> Can I tell you how hard that was for me? Probably to, hard. <laughs> to learn to turn the chatter off in my head. Right, right. Oh, it, it's, it's challenging. It's so challenging learning how to slow down that chatter. Right. What are some of the things that you would recommend to someone who has never tried to meditate? There are many different kinds of meditation. I use passage meditation where I slowly go over the words of favorite scriptural passages or uplifting thoughts uh, because we become what we meditate on. That's what goes deep. Uh, head knowledge a lot of times doesn't reach the heart because there's a disconnect. Uh, meditation is a way of moving the head knowledge to the heart and the heart, heart knowledge back to the head so that what we do comes naturally. It isn't forced. We are just naturally kind. We're naturally concerned. 
we naturally care. And so we're naturally connected. So scriptural reading, uh, I think is very helpful. Uh, prime times for having that is in the morning and in the evening at the beginning of our day and at the end of our day. And the things that we put in our heads before we sleep, they tend to resonate throughout the night. So having something positive before you go to sleep is very helpful uh, in having a good night's sleep, but also in improving our thought processes. Because anything you can do to improve the quality of your thinking will improve the quality of your life. And that's an important part. That's why meditation can be valuable. So you've just shattered the uh, ideal of the end of my day. <laughs> the end of our day typically is watching the news. Oh, yeah, that's the worst way to end your day. <laughs> <laughs> problem last night with my sleep. <laughs> you know, one of the things I think that you talk about noise, and uh, there literally is a lot of noise in our lives right now with technology, whether it's uh, looking at uh, our, our phones, our computers. You know, I, I, I would hate to think how many hours a day I'm on my computer or looking at my phone, thinking that those are more important than the conversations that uh, are, are much more important and the and the service and the things that we could be doing differently. Well, you still have to make a living, Mark. Don't forget you, well, that. Well, <laughs> I, I agree with that. But I think that, uh, you know, it's interesting. I saw a picture yesterday of a family sitting around the uh, table and they all have their cell phones. <laughs> texting. And texting and, and uh, looking at Facebook and things there, I'm sure. Yeah. There, But we've gotten into a society where that simplicity that we were talking about earlier just isn't there anymore because of how complicated and how much technology creates noise around us. Yeah. You know, some of the indicators that uh, uh, we need to change course uh, is the fact that uh, we sense we, we can't make the we can't train the mind to go where we want it to go. That is an indication. In fact, the notion is that a fast mind is actually a sick mind. A slow mind is a healthy mind, and a still mind is an enlightened mind. The Old Testament scripture, be still and know I am God, mm -hmm. says that's where you will find God in the stillness, not in the chatter. I love that. I love that thought because as healing has taken place in my, in my life, I feel like my mind has slowed down. And Absolutely. I, and I like the thought of the goal being still, being still. And I think that's the goal of meditation. It is. That is the goal of meditation. So I think that's pretty powerful. You know, Mark, you talked about being on our devices and all those things. And I remember um, when our kids were still at home and people, we started having cell phones and it wasn't uncommon, you know, that our kids had when they all had a cell phone and they were all older, but we had a rule. Cell phones were left on the counter. No <laughs> one could have their device because it, if we had our devices, we they would get, just distract. It distracted. There was all this texting. It wasn't like there was no communication. There was no communication. And that was pre Facebook. Oh, well, Facebook was around, mm -hmm. but was it on our phones? I don't remember. Right. <laughs> I wasn't on it. So, um, but I had to make this rule. 
And yeah. and when we were first married, the rule was no newspaper at the table. Oh, because he loved to read the newspaper. Uh -huh. the, we got the news that came in the late afternoon, so he'd come home from work. I'm like, no, 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 because that there was no conversation, there was no connection, right, and right. so that all turned out. So the key is finding balance, finding a way to create an environment where we can connect. So the, the quote I would share at this point uh, is from Ishwan. He says, we are surrounded by creative powers, as surrounded as we are by air and light and gravity. It is only when we fail to ally ourselves with these spiritual powers that they are unable to support us. Wow. Spiritual powers are all around us. All around us, all the time. For good and bad? Uh, there's that side as well. There's the dark side. and But we need to focus on but the bright side. we're going to focus on the bright side. We and, do need to focus on the bright side. And that is where um, we need to focus. But as we put our focus and our sight and searching for the bright side, we'll see it. It's there. That's right. So in order to find that uh, simplicity in our lifestyle, okay, as we talk about uh, the, the women with the cottage industries there in, in Peru and other areas throughout the world there, you know, I, I'm, I'm really thinking, how, how can I simplify my life? And how can I gain that, uh, that stillness that you're talking about there? When there are so many things around us, and you've given us some good ideas, you know, I think meditation is is wonderful. Exercising, yeah, absolutely, is is wonderful. Other uh -huh. thoughts, other ideas. Well, as we talked about the three primary paths to God, uh, we uh, are pilgrims here. We actually don't feel totally at home here in the body in this world. Okay, and. We come close to it as we have a sacred place where we commune. Uh, and finding that, I think, is important. And there may be multiple ones of those going on. But anything that you take in through prayer, meditation, contemplation, has to be poured forth in love and service. Uh, it, it isn't for us. It's for, well, it's for all of us. It isn't for me. It's for us. And so anything that is received uh, should be, we should have a, a way of sharing that. You are doing this in a wonderful way, uh, in a big way that uh, is very powerful. And I commend you for being able to do that. That is a very important uh, function, uh, service that you're performing. So I think what you say, Duane, is very important, that uh, finding our place isn't just a physical consideration no. no no it isn't we yeah. can we can find our place physically and that place might be on a mountain it might be in our home it might be in our backyard or somewhere else but our place really is that uh, sustaining purpose that you talked about before right right and if there is not joy in what you're doing it's probably not your sustaining place there will be joy in your service if it's your service and you need to be aware of that. Uh, there's too much of this enduring to the end and doing things just because we're supposed to. Uh, I think that we need to do things because we love to. 
And that's where the play, instead of work, it becomes play. Well, and I think people forget that key element of joy. The key element is joy. Yes. And, you know, as we love and we'll have that joy and that, that happiness. I mean, I think I was, when we were chatting before this, uh, before we started recording this, I was talking to you about how happy I am. Right, right. And this is something that I love. I love what we're doing with Care and the Love. I love people. I love connecting. And so I think it's very evident. In, Absolutely. And who I am and, and my disposition now that things are changing. Yes. As more as, uh, as we've got involved with this more and as it's developing and it's, we're finding out who we are. And you're receiving epiphanies along the way as you do this journey. Oh, we are. All of us do. All yeah, of us do. For yeah. sure. Regardless of what that journey is. Yes. Yes. And I think the key to it has been to take a step. We had to take steps forward. Right. right. And whatever that, that passion is in life or that, you know, whatever we, we, when we're wanting to find this gift. Right. If we don't step into it, how would we know? G.K. Chesterton, he said, uh, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly. And what he meant by that is when you start out, it's not going to be, you won't be at the, won't be at the top of your game. No. But if it's worth doing and if there's joy in it, you work through that poorly stage until you become pretty doggone good. <laughs> I agree. You know, that's when we started this, I had no idea really what care in the load was. I had an overall, this is what I hoped we could do. But I feel like, you know, we're becoming, we're becoming better at what we're doing and, and reaching out. And it's just, you know, believing. I, I, I love uh, the, the title that you picked for your podcast, Karen, the load and how it has the symbolism that we talked about a little bit, mm -hmm. uh, but it goes beyond the symbolism. And it, it is really about a higher image of humanity it's about helping others carry a load, which symbolically is very important. The Savior used it over and over again uh, in uh, when he was talking to people. If someone compels thee to go a mile, you go twain. And if they ask for your coat, you give them your cloak also. Anyway, carrying the load. Dwayne, thank you once again. Uh, you know, your, your thoughts are timely. Uh, your thoughts are, are, are relevant. I appreciate that. I hope so. We hope you each have a wonderful day. And thank you for joining us on Care on the Load. And please remember that we are stronger together. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. We hope that you've enjoyed our conversation with Dwayne Gines. Each of us have a story to share. Author Brene Brown reminds us that owning our story is the bravest thing that we'll ever do. The stories and experiences our guests share inspire us as well as help us to grow and connect with others. We invite you to become a part of Care in the Load community through social media, as well as to share the site with those that you know. We are stronger together. Keep caring.